Hi there, and welcome to this episode of Cross Section. This week, it's me and Alicia Edmund, and in just a few minutes, we'll be joined by Nicola Martin, our Policy Officer for Westminster here at the Evangelical Alliance, for the very first time. There has obviously been some very big news stories this week, and we will get to some of those in good time. But this is the last episode of series two of Cross Section and the last episode before we break for summer. I love doing this podcast and it has stretched my brain to think about how we bring together the news and the world around us and our Christian faith. And I really hope you've enjoyed it too. So Alicia, we don't have Danny and Peter with us to do the roundup of the series just gone, but of all the stories that we've covered, which do you think we are most likely to still be talking about in five years' time? Well, um, I think it will be a toss-up between the cost of living and, unfortunately, the war in Ukraine uh, and the aftermath of that. Um, Most definitely, the cost of living is the number one issue in the UK, and even though it's not being captured as part of the Conservative leadership conversation, it most definitely will be an election decider. Um, So for me, I think that will be the number one um, issue conversation we'll be talking about in five years time. That, yeah, I think I agree with you there. There are some other contenders to go with. We've covered Eurovision over this last series. Um, We've covered kind of the, the fall of Boris Johnson. We've covered Wagatha Christie. But yes, um, Ukraine and the cost of living crisis might might make it into the history books more than those things. Anyway, as I said, we are joined by Nicola Martin. Those of you that watch this on YouTube will have noticed she's actually been here the whole time. Um, but hi, Nicola. How are you? Hi, I'm, I'm really good. Thanks. It's so great to be joining this week and to have a girls takeover cross section. <laughs> Excited to see where the conversation goes. So for our dedicated listenership, we want to let them know a little bit about who you are. So could you just give us a little bit of insight into your normal job? Yes, so I am a public policy officer for Westminster for the Evangelical Alliance. Um, That involves a whole range of stuff, but mostly keeping an eye on what's going on in Westminster, um, responding to government consultations, um, keeping members updated about how they can um, engage with what's going on within our political world. Well, we're very glad to have you here and we're looking forward to having your insight on all the stories this week. Um, the first of which is um, it's all about Mo Farah. So you've probably heard it, that this week a documentary came out called The Real Mo Farah, which aired on BBC iPlayer on Wednesday. The Olympic star revealed that he was brought over to the UK at the age of nine by a woman he had never met and was forced to work for a family as a domestic servant. He says his parents have never been to the UK. His mother and two brothers live on their family farm in Somaliland. And his father, Abdi, was killed um, when Mo was just four years old during the civil war in Somalia. And Sir Mo's real name is Hussein Abdi Kahim. So Nicola, there's been a lot of chat about the Home Office's response. There's been headlines about that and the police investigation. Um, 
which which might sometimes that seems a bit weird. Um, but could you give us a bit of the context, a bit of understanding about what's going on there? Yes. So technically, um, legally, the government can remove a person's British nationality if the citizenship was obtained through fraud. So in this case, it was obtained through fraud. But um, Mo Farah found out the other day that the Home Office will not take action because he came while he was a child and this um, citizenship was claimed while he was a child and they assumed that a child cannot uh, be complicit in that process. So the, the good news for Mo Farah is he won't face any repercussions for um, him coming over here through a process that was fraudulent. Um, the couple, however, that uh, first took him in, um, do face some, might face some repercussions. Um, the May office, um, May office, sorry. They're <laughs> <laughs> doing some extra special weather reports. <laughs> The Met Police um, are investigating into that couple and their treatment of Mo Farah when he first came over. So that's more about, uh, I think, about how you treat a child rather than about the process by which he came to the country. Um, but yeah, really interesting discussion in the whole context of um, the Nationality and Borders Bill that recently went through. Um, Conservative government put through this bill and... Um, the outcome of that is that if you come to the country through what they call illegal means, um, which is the majority of um, routes that are taken by asylum seekers, refugees, um, you can be sent to another country. You can you can um, go to a, a second, what they call safe country. So there's a lot of people who are in a situation similar to Mo Farah, that they came when they were younger, through, or they, they'll come through illegal, so-called illegal means, and the government won't let them stay in this country. They will be sent to another country. And that's the process we're going to see now. So it's a really, really interesting story for a celebrity like Mo Farah to come out at this point and say, I came and the means by which I did um, were or what the government deemed to be illegal. I, I have been watching the documentary this morning and I really recommend it. I'm about halfway through, but it's it's done really um, delicately. Actually, in the way it's kind of presented and cut, the main kind of interviewer feels like Mo's wife, Tanya, which I just think is such an interesting way to present his story because his wife didn't know, um, even up until the they were engaged his wife didn't know anything about actually how he came to be in this country um, but there's a lot of questions going around about why has he chosen to come out with this now and you know the the nationality and borders bill is something that we've covered on this podcast and there's quite a poignant moment in the document in the documentary where uh, Mo Farah is driving to the flat uh, where he was brought over as a domestic servant and Priti Patel is talking about the Nationality and Borders Bill on the radio as he's driving, which, which that's not an accident, is it? Um, Alicia, what, what do, you, do you think it's significant that someone as famous as Mo Farah has come forward as a victim of human trafficking? I most definitely think it's a, a significant moment. I think a high-profile individual sharing their story of how... Um, Kind of puts into practice or visualizes what human trafficking is what does it look like um this is this example this is this case how does exploitation work 
Um, Mo Farah, as we've spoken about, is a celebrity that is adored because of his Olympic success. He is well liked, he's respected, he is a sir, uh, and it shows also the challenge and struggles that he finds in his own story of how he's now coming, um, as he say, revealing the real Mo Farah, who he is, his story that somewhat has been hidden, the challenges of shame, the challenges of, of grief, of being separated from your family, of being exploited to look after um, uh, kind of the, the parents, inverted commas, uh, and their children, the, the abuse that he experienced uh, and how much he lived in silence and isolation. I think it's a, a great moment for this country to understand the journey um, that people go through to seek safe passage and sanctuary uh, in the UK. Um, so on that front, I think it's an, an important educational moment for us to learn more. Um, I think we'll be more listening mode as because he is well respected. Uh, and as we've said already, it brings into sharp focus uh, this current government and Westminster's focus uh, mm -hmm. around immigration, around settlement, um, particularly of those of ethnic minority or from regions from the global south. We are here today and the reality is that part of the Nationality and Borders Bill is in action. It's possible for an individual that may have entered our country, similar to Mo Farah, um, being removed to places like Rwanda and Nigeria for their application to be processed further. And if it's seen that they are um, a legitimate uh, asylum seeker, that they will be resettled in those countries. So there's so many questions uh, and so many um, kind of policy solutions that need to be resolved. Um, yeah, that's that's really helpful, Alicia. And um, I would, as I said, I would really recommend people watch the documentary. I think it explores lots of interesting themes. Whenever we've talked about um, kind of refugees, asylum seekers, when we've talked about human trafficking before, and the thing that we always come back to is that as Christians, we um, have the absolutely foundational belief that every person is created in the image of God. And so every um, abuse or um, mistreatment of a person is, is totally dishonouring to God and how he's created us, how he's created things to be. Um, so I think it's really it's a really good um, story to engage with. I also think it's quite an interesting exploration of trauma. I found it really, I, like I said, I'm only halfway through, but I found it really interesting. There's points where Mo's talking about his story or what happened or how he was separated from his parents, his father being murdered. And I just kept watching like, oh, surely this is when he's gonna burst into tears. And he doesn't. And he talks about how he just had to keep pushing these things. Like he just had to get on and carry on with life. So I think that's quite interesting. And there's this moment where he um, says so a beautiful scene where he gets uh, to, to meet his mother again. Um, and then he goes back 20 years later in the making of this documentary. And as he walks back into the farm where he was, that he was born into, everyone is literally like lining the way with branches, not quite palm tree branches, but branches. And it's, it's, it's an almost, Oh, I'm going to struggle with this word, messianic moment. Um, 
So just it's just definitely worth a watch. Themes that are really good for us to, to chew, chew over and think about. Um, and as always on cross section, thinking um, what can the what can the Christian, what can we as followers of Jesus add to this conversation? Um, so carrying on the sports theme, you know we love to find a theme in cross section. Um, carrying on that theme, we are now going to think about the women's Euros. Um, this last week, the UEFA Women's Euros Football Tournament kicked off. Um, Northern Ireland have sadly been knocked out of the group at the group stages, but England have won their first two games, 1-0 against Austria and a record-breaking 8-0 against Norway. The coverage and attention paid to women's football has developed massively in the last 10 years, but it has been acknowledged that there's definitely still room for development. Um, Alicia, can you talk to us about the, about England's team this year? Yeah, it's definitely um, an example of a growth in the sport, its recognition in the last few years. Uh, it's recently won, I think, um, BBC and Sky are prepared to pay seven million, seven to eight million pounds of kind of TV fees licensing to showcase women's football throughout um, next season. Uh, the Euros kicked off uh, England uh, tentatively, but did beat Austria uh, in front of an audience of 68,000 um, people at Old Trafford. So it's getting the recognition that it deserves. Uh, but of course, there's so much more about the women's sport that has equally been criticised. Um, Alex Scott in um, a documentary of future of women's football explores not just its ascendancy, its growth, its recognition of women being role models and the importance of young girls seeing themselves in a professional capacity in sport. She also explores the challenges around diversity. And that was something that was picked up in the first game um, against Austria, that the first 11 were all white. Uh, and the title of the, the article in Sky News explored the, how there's still a diversity issue that um, women of colour, young girls are not seeing themselves represented in the England team. Uh, and so there's definitely a drop off um, that is there. So there's still work to be done in terms of uh, kind of diversity uh, within um, women in sport and particularly the England team. Uh, and no doubt that's something that those like Alex got on looking to drive forward. Mm. Uh, uh, the whole kind of issue of equality, diversity and inclusion can be an area that Christians can be nervous to speak into. Um, so Nicola, I wanted to ask you why, why is it important or is it important that Christians are speaking into this space? Yes, it, it's definitely an issue that as Christians we should be speaking into and I totally understand why it is an issue we get nervous about. It's a really sensitive topic, really, um, but definitely um, I think as we read through the Bible, there is so much beauty and diversity. Um, without a doubt, there is, um, you know, different races, different ethnicities are all created in the image of God. There is no doubt about that. And when we think of the issue of race and um, the representation of race within sport, within all aspects of our um, culture and our society, uh, we should celebrate diversity and advocate for it. Um, because because we know it's a good thing, um, it is God's intention for us to all one day live together um, in heaven, those of us that know and love Jesus, um, that are of different races and different ethnicities and different social backgrounds, and that, that's really great. 
there'll be aspects of um, diversity and quality that as Christians we struggle to speak about a wee bit more, more issues where, where we have reservations um, due to biblical understandings, things like that. But those, even on those topics, we should always be advocating for inclusion, for strong inclusion. Um, even things that we don't feel like celebrating too much, we should still make sure that people in our society, no matter what their background, their sexuality, gender, whatever it is, are included. Um, because we want our society to be a place of inclusion. Um, as Christians, we are now starting to um, see what it is to live in a society where there maybe is a wee bit of hostility towards um, our faith and towards some of the beliefs we hold. And if we want to be able to share those beliefs and hold to them, um, we need to be advocating for a society that um, where people can come forward and say their beliefs freely and live those beliefs out. And sometimes that means advocating for people to have a voice that we don't necessarily agree with. Um, and that's, that is tricky, but um, I really believe that that is the best way for us to be able to live our Christian faith within sport, within society as a whole. Yeah, we're coming out in September, so a bit of insider knowledge. There's going to be um, a resource coming out from, from the EA that we've been working on in the advocacy team, which is about living for Jesus in the workplace. And um, that is different. Well, I suppose that's the nuts thing about professional football, isn't it? That is their workplace. I have to keep reminding myself of that. Um, but we, we talk about inclusion and diversity and why it's an area that Christians should be speaking into. And we were talking about it today, the thing of... Um, we want everyone to be free so that as Christians, we're free to speak about Jesus and other people are free to say, wow, Jesus is amazing. OK, yes, I want to follow him. Um, yeah, freedom, freedom. God, God made us with um, with a lot of freedom. That's part of the joy of following him. We are free to follow him and we want to promote a space where everyone is free to choose um to choose to be who they are so that Christians can be who they are um and people can choose to follow him that's that's the that's the hope that's the dream um well just to remind you you are listening to cross section you can follow us now and forevermore on twitter eauk news on instagram evangelical alliance and please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Um, as always, we'd love you to email in cross.section at eauk.org. Um, what stories do you want us to be talking about? What, what have we missed? What add to our conversation as we try to help you add to the conversations that are taking place around you? Now, undoubtedly, the biggest story this week after the resignation of Boris Johnson as Prime Minister, the Conservative Party must elect a new leader. Now, this is a story that, as we record on Thursday afternoon, we have just received some breaking news, and we will get to that in a second. But, as I said, follow us on Twitter and Instagram, because every week we share polls on our social media platforms. And this week, um, we ask the question of who would you like to win who would you like to be the next prime minister um now we've got quite a range of responses uh 
how we, how we phrase the question, if you, if, you're, if you don't have Twitter or haven't seen it, we listed all of the potential candidates, a, a to F, as it was at that point, or six, who would you want to be the next prime minister? And we asked people to comment. We did have a few responses of um, Keir Starmer and suggestions that we were being biased. We're not being party political, just Keir Starmer is not, it, he can't be prime minister at this moment. <laughs> um, that's not our choice. Those are the options available to us. Um, we also had another response that suggested that Peter Linus should be the next prime minister. Um, that, that's a scary thought. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, yeah, the, these are options. Maybe that was the dream, you know, a fantasy option. The, not all these options are available to us. Um, actually, the, the person that was uh, most voted for was uh, Kenny Bajanok. Um, but Alicia, do you just want to fill us in on some of the breaking news that, I mean, if people are listening to this Friday morning, you've probably heard it, but it's exciting to us in this moment right now. Well, put me on the spot. So we were in the final six um, uh, options. We had Rishi Sunak, Penny Morden, Liz Truss, Kemi Badenoch, Suella Bourbon, Tom Tugendhatten, and that is it. And at three o'clock this afternoon, we learnt that Suella Bourbon has not made it to the next round. So the six became five. Uh, and uh, maybe Nikki can tell more about the process of what happens next because my brain has completely forgotten. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, so just to clarify how it all works from the words go, firstly, just quickly, in case you were that person that um, responded to our poll <laughs> on Instagram, um, it will be a Conservative uh, Party member. MP that becomes our next Prime Minister. We're not holding a general election at the moment. This election is to choose who the next um, leader of the Conservative Party is and therefore who the next Prime Minister is. And it is the Conservative MPs right now and then the wider party as a whole who choose this person. So this started, uh, process started with 11 MPs putting their names forward to become the next party leader. That was whittled down to eight because each of those people need to get 20 MPs to uh, endorse them for them to enter the race to become leader. So um, once it went down to eight, that was when the, the election process started. Round one saw um, two people um, be put out. Those were uh, Nadine Zahawi and um, Jeremy Hunt. Um, they went out because they didn't get more than 30 votes from MPs. Uh, from Conservative MPs. It then went to round two, which we saw today, um, put out Suela Braverman because she had the least votes out of those remaining. And then we'll have another um, few rounds like that until we, where the person with the least amount of votes gets put out um, until we see two candidates. And then from those two, that's when the votes open up to the wider party. So those um, party members that are not MPs, they're just your average Joe Bloggs, um, will get to have a say, they'll get to do a postal vote to decide who will become the next leader of the Conservative Party and therefore who will become the next Prime Minister. But people, um, some people might be thinking, quick, I'm going to go and become a member of the Conservative Party so that I can have some say. People can't do that, can they? No. No. Great. Thank you for clarifying, Alicia Redmond. Um, it does feel a bit like some surreal episode of American Idol. Um, 
<laughs> oh, Britain's next. Oh, Britain's Britain's got talent. Britain's got talent. Last thing, but do they? Only time will tell. Um, so it feels like there's been quite. We've chatted quite a bit about diversity and representation of things today. Um, there's been comments made about the, the diversity of the candidates for the next prime minister. Um, Alyssa, do you think that says much about the party more broadly? Some people are saying, you know, it marks a sort of new day for the Conservative Party. Um, what, what do you do? You think there'll be some great significance if our next prime minister isn't white? Well, well, starting with the first one in terms of ethnicity, there's definitely been a lot of conversations across across news channels from the Times, The Spectator, Guardian and The Independent on the breadth of the initial 11 candidates. There was representations from women, representations from Nigerian heritage, Indian, uh, faith backgrounds of Muslim, Christian, um, Hindi. Um, so there's a lot in terms of the Conservative Party evolving and maturing uh, and representing more of the UK. I think the most glaring omission that's probably not obvious on face is the one of class uh, mm -hmm. and kind of a background. Yes, there are a few candidates that have gone to comprehensive schools or gone to universities that are not of the Oxbridge ilk, um, but there is definitely a, a, a gap in that sense. There's still very much at the highest echelons of society um, that are likely to become um, the leader of the Conservative Party and Prime Minister. In terms of is this a significant moment, should there be um, a person of colour as the next Prime Minister? I'm not quite sure. It's our Obama 20, 2004 moment here in the UK where it's incredible news um, because still when it comes to the subject of race and particularly of how it's represented in policy or how it's tackled or responded to, there is still somewhat of a gap um, in terms of the Conservatives' outlook and direction of travel. Uh, we've spoken about Rwanda, we're talking about the Nationality and Borders Act that impacts um, communities and individuals from different backgrounds and heritage. We still have um, a question mark uh, on the Inclusive Britain agenda that tackles issues of maternal um, health amongst um, black women or educational attainment amongst Afro-Caribbean boys or even um, the subject of um, stop and search and the impact mm -hmm. uh, on young men of colour, particularly um, black men. So the Conservatives in terms of um, being a party of race and diversity, I think they're still on a journey like many others. Uh, and um, that's definitely something that um, the new leader, I hope, will um, address and confront uh, once they're elected. And as always, we're trying to think, okay, what 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 does the Christian distinctively do with this news in this moment? And it, it, it feels like a harder one than sometimes because in some ways we're, we're not at the end of the story. Um, but I guess Christians might be wanting to get informed about who their next potential leader is. And um, I guess a way that you can start to build a picture about a, um, a member of the party is by looking at their voting records. Um, so how would someone going about, how would someone go about looking into who their, who the different candidates are? 
Um, so there's a website called They Work For You, which you can look up each MP, MP, not just those that are standing in this election, you could look up your local MP and on um, They Work For You and you can see records of how they voted on all issues um, across the board. So if you have a particular interest in um, how they voted on issues to do with the economy, you can see that, or issues to do with um, the environment, or how they, avoid, um, how they voted on abortion issues or LGBT issues, uh, you can see that all on there. And that's a good way to think through how you can be praying for your uh, MPs and our leaders as well. Yeah, thank you. That's great because I guess that's that's the main, that's the biggest thing that we can be doing um, in this moment as Christians. We saw um, the power that we sometimes underplay of the power of prayer just this week with um, Savage Javid saying, giving credit to the parliamentary prayer breakfast, the sermon given there, the prayer taking place there as part of the reason why he felt called to resign um so let's be praying for whoever our next um the next leader of the uk is whoever our next prime minister is that they would lead this country well that they would protect freedoms that we hold dearly like the freedom of religion and belief the freedom to practice our faith the freedom to share the good news of jesus that they would be someone of integrity um and that the, the Lord somehow would be, be leading them where they're meant to go. Yeah, and not just to pray as well, but also it's a moment to act. Um, uh, Danny, um, he's not with us today, wrote a beautiful article in terms of outlining some of the seven policy areas that we will be working on uh, from, well, we're working on them as much as possible now, but from September when we know who is the next leader, what we're hoping the next prime minister will take into consideration. And so if you're a person of prayer, amazing. If you're a person of action, incredible. Why not bring them together? Why not engage with your local MP on those issues? Ask them for their views. Have they heard of the Evangelical Alliance? Make them aware of what you're doing in your local community and how much you care about this situation. And of course, we produce resources on our website to support you in doing that well thank you so much for listening to this episode thank you so much for listening throughout this series and we look forward very much to seeing you in the next series of cross section